Blog Talk Radio. Do, do what you want to. Thugs 
and um, he was actually had a small stint in the OSS at that time, which was, of course, the precursor to the CIA called the Office of Strategic Services. And then uh, when Korea came along, he was uh, he was involved in uh, his uh, uh, little uh, stint in the OSS was extended to the CIA, and he was uh, involved in ferrying documents back and forth between MacArthur's headquarters, Pan, and uh, the generals on the front lines in Korea during the Korean conflict. And then Vietnam came along, and right about that time is uh, when I was born. I was born in January of 1965, and uh, my father was actually um, the became the director of Air America for Military Region Two Two Corps, which was the uh, subject of my second novel. Um, so when I was three years old, uh, my family and I moved to uh, Taiwan, which was a safe haven for um, for American dependents who worked in uh, Vietnam. And my father was in the, uh, was uh, like I said, was the director of Air America for Military Region Two, which was Two Corps, which was the uh, the main uh, the main hub of all um, clandestine activities that went on in Vietnam during the Vietnam conflict. Um, so, uh, being in Vietnam at such a young age, I went there when I was three years old. Left there when I was eight. Mm-hmm. I le- actually learned the Mandarin dialect, and I was also very uh, into Asian studies and whatnot throughout throughout my childhood. And um, so. Vietnam, the uh, peace treaty was signed for Vietnam, and we moved to Vietnam to actually live there with my father on um, the final two years before Saigon fell. And uh, from there, we moved to uh, to uh, um, uh, to Maryland for six months. My father had his debriefing for uh, the things that went on in Vietnam, the things that he found, which was of course, of course, again, is in my second novel. And then we moved to uh, Hawaii. We made Hawaii our, our home. I came here when I was uh, a little over ten years old. And I've been living in Hawaii ever since. Uh, my father started a real estate business, and it was uh, doing very well until a great recession hit. And I took over the company from my father about two years before the recession hit. And, of course, uh, we got wiped out during the recession. I had to close the doors of the company on, in, uh, on June 30th, 2009. And that actually was the um, what happened to me during the great recession, and not just me, but 40 million other Americans made me very, very angry. So I made that the, the topic of my first book. And it mm-hmm. may seem a little off-topic at first, but the title is called "What a Susu, My Uncle, A Story of the Chinese Mafia." So what I did was I wanted to uh, make the, uh, you know, if you just talk about business in a book, you know, about how things happen and what happened, it may sound, seem kind of boring to the regular person. So I turned it into, turned it into a mafia story that I completely uh, made up um, from my knowledge, you know, of the Mandarin language and the Asian studies and things that I looked up on the internet to form the basis for the characters that surrounded that. And then halfway through the book. I make the uh, one of the one of the central characters, you know, you know, follow kind of like how the Godfather saga went in the third part, mm-hmm. where he tries to switch over to a legitimate life, and then that's where I bring in all the uh, things that I found out during the Great Recession that I write about in my first novel. And why did you decide to name your book that? Like, uh, you know, what what, what was the uh, you know the meaning behind the title? Like, how did you come up with that? Yeah, you what know? is so- the um, Wotasusu is Mandarin. It means my uncle, and it's a uh, Taiwanese mm-hmm. dialect of the Mandarin language. And so what I did was is, um, I started – it's very hard to find credible information on the Chinese mafia. I mean, there's lots of uh, journalistic publications and whatnot about people who believe they've come into fringe groups of criminal organizations and whatnot. So it was very hard to find um, uh, credible information. But, you know, of course, I did a lot of digging on the Internet. And there was this one character that kept on coming up. His name was uh, Big Ear Two. And, of course, to Western ears, Big Ear 2 may sound like a funny name, but uh, um, to have big ears in, uh, in uh, Chinese culture is considered very good luck. So if you look at all the, uh, the Buddhist uh, uh, statues, you'll notice that they have very large earlobes, and that's one of the contributing factors to that. <clears throat> but um, so I found this, that one character, and he was actually the boss of the Shanghai Tong back in pre-World War II China in the 1930s. So I created my characters from that point. I used uh, the guy... Who, uh, who's, who I named uh, Chan Wan San was the uh, guy who learned from Big R2, and then he became the uh, the uh, the uncle of the nephew uh, who became the best friend with the white guy in Hawaii, and they overlooked the uh, daily heroin shipments coming from uh, from Burma under um, under Chan Wan San's uh, tutelage, and they they pr- protect the heroin shipments going on to the mainland and Europe and whatnot, and that's that's the central point of the of the of the book. Oh wow! And um, how long did it take you to um, put this book together? Um, well, actually, the first book, like I said, was based on my frustrations of what happened to me during the uh, during the Great Recession. So, it, it I started writing in the middle of uh, 2012, 
and I got the book done pretty quickly. It only took me about six months to whack out. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, it's uh, it, like I said, it's it was, it was therapy for me more than anything else. It was a catharsis, you know, to get all of my frustrations, you know, all the bad things that happened to me because so many bad things happened to me. And to make the book more come more alive, I added a lot of my real life um, experiences into it, like. Um, my best friend uh, was uh, died from spinal cancer during the same time, and so I added that to uh, one of the uh, effects of uh, one of the one of the characters in the book. And a lot of the fun things that happened to us during the 1980s. We used to go out clubbing, clubbing a lot in the 80s, and a lot of the mm-hmm. funny incidents that happened happened during then, and the interesting things that happened during then when we went out all the time made that part of the book. You know, make it more come to life and seem more realistic instead of just a you know, tale of drug guys, you know, going out and killing everybody. But there are, there's a lot of action in the book, especially there's a, I have this one shootout at the uh, Honolulu International Airport that um, I, I, I constructed that I'm pretty proud of. Um, that's one thing I really enjoy writing. That's, when I'm writing this book, I found I enjoyed writing battle scenes. So mm-hmm. then the second book, what I did was, um, Two Core is actually about my dad, but I expanded on it a lot. So there's more to it than that, than actually just what my dad did, but I added a lot of, um, uh, incidents onto it basically revolves around this Green Beret team that goes um, all over, uh, all over uh, uh, South and North Vietnam, you know, pulling off, uh, you know, um, uh, hits and 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 uh, battle scenes there too. They actually go up to uh, to kill Ho Chi Minh, and there's a lot of battle scenes in this book too. Um, that, like I said, it's uh, it was more of a that was more of a tribute to my to my father and my mother. Now, did you always know you would be a writer, Tim, or is that just, no, did that just come through I, different life experiences? I just, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I said, did you always know you would be a writer, or did that just come about through different life experiences? It just came about through different life experiences. One of the things that I'd like to point out, too, is that um, my book, Two Core, um, there was a lot of things that happened to my father and I there, too. Um, I was only eight and a half to uh, nine and a half years old when I lived there, just before the fall of Saigon. And um, mm-hmm. I, there was, really was a um, a uh, plot to kidnap me by the uh, by the VC uh, insurgency there. Um, my father put a stop to it. Fortunately, <laughs> who knows what would have become of me. And my father was one of the uh, guys that actually undercover uncovered. I'm sure you heard a lot of things about Air America and there was illegal uh, profiteering going on. Um, but that my dad was the act, one of the actual guys that actually found the illegal profiteering. So one of the CIA guys who was reported by my father to the higher-ups at the consulate and the embassy there actually took pot shots at my father and me at the beach there in the trunk. So I incorporated those real events into the story as well. And my book, Two Corps, was actually, um, was actually uh, nominated for uh, three awards in writing excellence. Now, um, tell us a little bit about, like, when you were over there, because you said you, you did serve, is where what was that experience like? You know, being over there, um, you know, in another country, you know, and, and you know, I guess I'm protecting that. You know, what did you get some so? You know, what did you uh, gain from that? Like, tell us some of the experience that helped you, you know, get to where you are today. Yeah, well, there's an old expression from the old timers from that area called "close enough for government work." <laughs> that actually, uh, the things my father learned, you know, working for the State Department. The State Department is actually the uh, civilian arm of the CIA. They actually act as, act as the front for the CIA in terms of uh, dealing with civilian things. I'd get that, get into that, into my book as well. But um, yeah, it, my dad did learn a lot from running Air America there in uh, Two Corps. Um, so that was mm-hmm. able. Actually, lead to and a lot of we, we traveled to Hawaii several times on vacation, uh, and it's called home leave when you when you're when you're in the service of the government you you go you don't actually go on vacation you go return home from living abroad to uh, visit family and whatnot so it's called home leave. So we left we married, we uh, came to Hawaii at least uh, three times that I recall, and my father actually started by buying property here, and then that's what got led us to, to uh, into the real estate business here in Hawaii. We actually uh, dabbled in uh, condo association management more than sales than anything else because that was a more of a steady stream of money. But um, uh, to tell you the truth, I know a lot of you hear a lot of the you know the movies on, on Vietnam and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't get there until after the P- Paris Peace Accord was aside, and of course there were still little skirmishes going on on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and up north. But it was fairly quiet where I lived at the time, so, and I know where the soldiers, um, you know, deep in the mud and having, you know, AK-47 shot at them in the air was like hell, you know, seeing their, their, you know, their friends being killed, you know, stepping on landmines, booby traps, the whole freaking nine yards. But where I was, it was, to be honest, it was beautiful. And the, uh, 
the the beaches were almost untouched by by humans. I mean, we had this one beach that was uh, right practically right across the street from uh, where I lived in a building called the Hanalan, and there was an official consulate beach uh, just down the road within walking distance. And uh, it, it's it's uh, and Vietnam is so different today. I mean, I haven't gone back, but I've seen it on the internet. I mean. Where a lot of the uh, battles that happened up, uh, you know, in uh, in uh, in Quezon and the Central Highlands in the uh, Idrang Valley, it's all condominiums now. <laughs> and uh, in Hanoi, where we used to bomb them, there, there's places in Hanoi that rival Rodeo Drive in California. The 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 the, the granddaughters of the guys that were fighting in the communist <laughs> army are walking around in Hanoi with uh, Louis Vuitton and Christian Dior purses. Um, oh wow. Natrong is overdeveloped like Waikiki now. It's all hotels all up and down that place now. It's all ruined now. And Saigon is full of bowling alleys, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and McDonald's now. Oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it's so different. Yeah, I had no idea because, you know, I've never been to Vietnam. You know, I don't normally, like, look it up on, online or anything like that, but that's that, that's amazing, though, because, you know, I, I, you, you know, I, I wouldn't know because I thought it was like, um, you know, from my side, I thought it was like uh, one of the, Poor countries. Um, well, it still is different. You know, it's, it doesn't radiate like uh, other countries. But I mean, the the Vietnam, the Vietnamese Politburo, when the war war world finally came to an end, they and after a couple of years of suffering, and you know, the U.S. government wouldn't recognize them and make amends with, you know, wouldn't reestablish diplomatic ties for at least uh, ten more years. Um, they realized they had to do something. So they even have their own little stock market now. Believe it or not, they have. Um, it's it's like China. I mean, it's it's centrally controlled. It's capitalism, but it's uh, sort of centrally controlled. They let people get away with a little, you know, a little bit here and there. But what I found amazing was is when I found out that the 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 granddaughters of the communist fighters are walking around Hanoi with Louis Vuitton bags. <laughs> I almost shit my pants. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to swear or not. I don't know if I can get away with that. Oh no, it's, no. It, it, it's fine. Hey, man. You know, we're on internet radio, so you you know you you can get away with that on this. And, you know, internet radio post traditionally. Okay, I should, I should also warn uh, future readers that my books are full of luridities, they're full of profanity, um, lots of blood and guts, um, lots uh-huh. of sexual innuendo. So if that kind of stuff turns you off, don't buy my books. <laughs> and if if you're not into gangster gangster books, you know, don't don't buy it. The first one. <laughs> Now you can go on to Amazon and you can you can preview the first twenty pages just by clicking on the image, mm-hmm. and you you can you can decide from yourself from the first twenty pages if that's something you want to buy. But like I said, the two core novel, the first book was more of a therapy, but the second book, two core, is what I really spent a lot of time on, and I'm more proud of that work. And like I said, it was nominated for three awards. But even though it is self-publishing, uh, my my publisher isn't required in any way to sponsor any nominate um, award nominations, but they did that for me. Oh wow! Well, that that must be some sense of accomplishment if you uh, were able to sell publishing books. You know, what was that feeling like having your work nominated for three different awards? Yeah, I just, I mean, they send me emails. You know, you know, all you got to do is, you know, accept the nomination, and I did. Of course, I didn't win. I mean, it's my only sec- only my second novel, right? But I mean, I was, I was, I was, I mean, just to be nominated was. Uh, was yeah, a that's what I'm saying. Power. That's a major accomplishment because I don't yeah, believe everyone gets nominated. You know what I mean? So my, just to get the nomination that we consider your book, you know, that's a, that's a big accomplishment in itself. I think. Yeah, my publisher told me that less than five percent of the authors in the United States get nominated for awards. So I was, I was very happy about that. Um, oh, wow. I, I'm working on the prequel to Watasusu now, so that actually starts with that character Bigger Two I was talking about earlier in uh, in pre World War II China, and I'm about 75% complete with that novel. I'm hoping to get it out, you know, before the uh, shopping season for Christmas comes up this year, but I'm not sure if I'm going to make it in time or not. But um, any thoughts uh, of possibly making one of your books like a movie? You ever had any thoughts like that? Maybe turn into uh, a, a movie? Script? I can't comment on that because if if something like that does come my way, I would be required to sign like non-disclosure agreements and uh, and no competition agreements and things like that. So I can't make any comment on that at this at this at this time. Oh okay. Well yeah, we were just wondering whether that's understandable. But, um, so, um, yeah. b- between your, uh, you, so you see you're working on the prequel to the first book um, that, that you did about the Chinese, uh, the Chinese, Chinese mafia. mafia. 
Yeah. So uh, doing your research, uh, what are some interesting, like something interesting you found about the the mafia that uh, the average person may not know? Well, see, that's what a, one of the things, too, I go into in my book is that it all revolves. See, the actual, most uh, criminal organizations revolve around uh, political turmoil. And that, I mean, the Russian mafia was actually because of when the Tsar uh, got thrown out and the communists took over. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Italian, Italian mafia in Sicily and, uh, and, and the main uh, boot of Italy, that started out when, uh, you know, the invaders started coming and going at a half, half faster rate during the mid-1800s. And, and so forth and so on. So that's the, actually the, the whole mafia uh, concept was actually Chinese before it was anybody else's because the, uh, the, uh, the, the way the Chinese mafia started was, was when the Manchurians invaded um, China and uh, took over. And even though they speak the same languages, they wear the same clothes, they, they look very much alike, but they're not actually the same people. The, the actual original Han people of the original four states that comprised original, the original country of China was, was actually called, called, uh, called, called, called the Han people, the Han, the Han dynasty. So when, then there were several other dynasties that came and went, and then when the Manchurians came in and took over in, 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 16, in around 1640, around 1640, 1650, they actually the uh, the Chinese mafia came into born with uh, two two or three different um, societies. They call them societies. Um, there was the Heaven and Earth Society, and there was one other. And that's what actually was the actual birth of the Chinese mafia itself. And then, of course, after one, two, three generations, the the main goal of the of these uh, Chinese mafia groups wasn't. They were actually political groups at first, and they actually some some actually was able to retain patencies of nobility, which shows the original. Um, Han emperors were the original birth of the of what we now know as modern China, and so that's what I bring into the uh, first book as well as the patents of nobility. And there's and then and then the guy that meets Bigger too is actually the descendant of of the uh, the Han emperors, and that's how I introduce and 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 get the story to uh, come to to a head so that you know the, he actually comes to 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 realize that you know he's not just a common drug dealer there's a reason and a purpose to his life which is to try to reestablish the Han dynasty which but this all is all happening during world war 2 and of course um you know uh you know chairman mao started the communist party and chased chiang kai shek right out of the country right after world war 2 so i get into that a little bit too as well now uh, what I, what i like uh, that you, um, you you based your um you know your second novel it, it, you said that was based like on on your father's story, like on your father's like life story, somewhat. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, what was that experience like? Did you guys like you had to like uh you know study him like a, a subject, you know, to get all the stories out of him to do that book? What, what was that uh, process like in that experience? Well, see, the thing is too is that I was I actually went to his office with him. My my father was the only embassy employee that had an office and a separate staff at both the consulate and at Air America. Nobody else had that set up but him. So he won't admit he, he was an actual agent of the CIA, but with somebody with that set up, you know what a guy is. I mean, <laughs> and I can tell just by his answers of whether, you know, what, you know, his lies or his non-answers tells me just as much as his truth does. You know, if I, if I, ask, I mean, I did actually have to interview him, but, you know, it's so I could actually set up, you know, do the setup for the novel. But I already knew, you know, by living with my mother and father all my life, what really what really happened, and I have all my father's papers from Vietnam. I mean, I even actually have um, some of the maps he used. I have an, uh, on the cover of my novels. I always do the no- the covers myself on two core. That flag in the background is actually is actually a, a Vietnamese flag that fire, flew over a fire base and bombed me to it, and that was given to me as a gift by the by the, by the Marine guards at the consulate there in the trunk. Not bad at all, man. And you say, he, but dad, daddy would never admit to nothing though. There's a lot of stuff he just wouldn't admit or just wouldn't talk about. Well, he's 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 uh he's 86 years old now, right? So he he plays dumb very well. Oh wow! So he's still around too. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. he's still that's around. Amazing. Both my mom and dad, they're both. My mom's 85. My dad's 86. Oh wow, man! They're both still around kicking. Still around kicking. Well, man, that man, that's that, that's definitely a great thing. Do you um, did you dedicate like your books to to one of them or both of them or something like that? Yeah, on the on the inside cover of Two Core, I, I put on one of the single pages from my mother and father. 
Oh man, that's that, that's definitely a good thing, man. Like, um, do you do any like um speaking engagements, or you know, you have like book tours or anything like that? Uh, that you're, well, you're it's kind of hard to do from Hawaii because I'm all the way out in the middle of the Pacific, so that's why I try to talk, reach out and talk to uh, people like yourself as much as possible. Oh yeah, man, and I because I know I've, I've looked up plane tickets from Hawaii. I know that can become very uh. Very, very, very expensive, and you you have to fly. It's not like like if I lived in Arizona, I can't just get in the car and drive somewhere. You know? <laughs> oh wow! And see, the thing is, this is self this is self publishing. So it's it's I if I put if I put um, books in a bookstore, the mm-hmm. things it, based on the billing of of cycle of how the bookstore deals with whoever supplies them with their books, whether it be Baker and Taylor, or Ingram, or whatever. You know, the wholesalers, they have a right to return unsold books within a certain amount of time, and then I have to end up buy them back. So it's much easier wow. if I just I just sell straight off off the internet, um, online, and I try to talk to as many people as possible, um, like yourself, and let people know that my 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 stuff is out there. And just how long have you been uh, living in Hawaii? I've been living here since 1976. Man, so, that's, 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 almost, that's almost 30 years. Yeah, yeah. I'm 50 years old now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so you must love it this. You know, would you recommend, uh, say, say someone's listening and they say, man, I always, you know, I always thought about living there. Would, would, you, would you recommend coming to Hawaii or what, would, what should they do if they were thinking about moving there? I suggest you come here and visit first. Uh, there's a lot of things uh, that um, I'm not happy about my home that's happening right now. Well, one thing one thing you know off you got to know off the bat. I mean, food and everything else costs you know five times more than what you pay for uh, what we call on the mainland where you guys live. Um, but yeah, I, you're in New York, and I, I'll tell you right now, I love New York. Um, you think you think things are expensive in New York? You try coming to Hawaii. It's five dollars and change and change plus sales tax for a gallon of milk. Just to put it that way. Wow. Uh, it's, I, I, it's eleven dollars for a pound of ground beef. You say eleven bucks? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. So it's very expensive to live here. Um, one thing too is that, but that I'm makes not happy. Sense. Everything has to get uh, imported because y'all are yep. like being on Hawaii is like an island, right? So yep. everything has, everything to, has to come by ship or airplane. Wow. Everything has to come by ship or airplane. Oh, exactly. So y'all pay all the tax, and that's just the regular tax that uh, we would pay because most of our foods come off that, you know, that 18 wheeler, the tra- tracker trailer. Well, th- in your case, they had to come off a trailer, then get on a boat or a plane to come exactly. to you. Then another, yeah, somebody else got to pick it up with their trailer and take it there. Out of all them people involved, man. Yep. Yep. Yeah, this, yeah. What do you think for like a value meal idea? Was it like fifteen bucks? <laughs> a value meal idea? Yeah, yeah. Then you know, of course, we've got a housing crisis here too. I mean, there's not enough space for everybody. I mean, there's forty people every day moving to Hawaii to live here. Um, there's not enough houses to accommodate everybody. Houses in town. I live in a townhouse myself. Um, let's see what else. They also they started building a rail system. You know, like you know, you your guys' subway. You know, except it's uh, uh-huh. elevated. Elevated, elevated train. Um, that's that's uh, that's a 50-year work project. They haven't told anybody yet, but they're just building the one section right now that leads from the uh, the west side to the downtown side, um, and it's uh, that's and it's way over budget already. And I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> and they're they're going to build a finger for that rail system to go all over the island of Oahu. I know already. It's a 50-year work project. They ain't never going to stop it. Okay, so the beaches as beautiful as I see in the pictures. Cause they, the beaches look really nice in the photos, but you know, yeah, they, they are, they are, they are. We've got a lot of restrictions on the beaches now. I mean, it's um, because we've got a bad homeless problem here too. So I mean, they've got these things called sit lie law now, which you know you can't, mm-hmm. you can't, uh, st- you can't uh, pitch a tent on the beach and stay there. I mean, <laughs> a lot of because that's what a lot of people were doing on the west side of the island is they were pitching tents and 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 uh, staying on the beach like it's their house. So, uh, you, I mean, you as a visitor may want to try to do that. And a lot of people have the misconception that Hawaii is all grass shacks and everybody laying in a hammock sipping a Mai Tai, but that's not how it is. Wow. It's <laughs> not, that's people, not how that, it is at all. That's crazy. Like, people pitching the tent. It's not, even the, it's, so it's not even the people that live there. Like, people come visit there and just place a material on the beach and just camp out. 
<laughs> no. I mean, there are places where you can legally camp out, but you got to get a permit and all. you got to go through a whole nightmare mess but to do it. I mean, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I love New York. Uh, my, my, uh, my worst enemy now, my ex-girlfriend, is actually from there. She's, uh, she owns property in uh, College Point, Masbeth, and, um, and uh, other places in Brooklyn. Um, she's got three family and four family houses, you know, where she rents them out. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so I love New York. I mean, I, when I was with her, I would come at least two, three times a year. I love the food there. Uh, uh, Venero's Bakery, uh, Benetieri's Deli, Cat's Deli. Um, <laughs> uh, in Chinatown, I go nuts because Chinese food is my favorite. Chinese is my favorite food, so I go nuts down in Chinatown. Oh, okay. You guys able to get uh, uh, Chinese food uh, on the island? Is that? Is oh that yeah, oh yeah. There's that? a there's a large Chinese population here in Hawaii. Oh wow. Man, so uh, so say someone's listening and they want to get their hands on on um on your work on your books. Like, how, how can they um, find your books? Like, where do they find the books at? Um, yeah, you can just go right into uh, either uh, either uh, Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble, and you can just type my name in, uh, Tim Lilly. First name's T I M, last name Lilly, L I L L Y. There's two L's in the last name, uh, and you know the 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 uh, book covers will come up, and you just click on which one you want to order. Um, I'm also on uh, Facebook. I'm the only Tim Lilly in Hawaii, so you can just search by uh, by area. If you want to, you know, it's tim.lily.714 after the Facebook um, address. And I'm um, also on Twitter, um, at TimLily2. Uh, that's the number two. Um, and uh, you can go go to my um, my author pages. There's uh, I also have video trailers from both my books, um, mm-hmm. both uh, done professionally very well with um, awesome music. Um, the uh, My first one, of course, is uh, www outskirtspress.com uh, slash um, wodasusu. That's W-O-D-E-S-U-S-U. And then the other one is uh, slash uh, two core, and that's Roman numeral two, um, C-O-R-P-S. Sounds good. Do you have a website of your own yet, Tim, or are you like in the process of putting one up? No, the uh, Outskirts Press sites um, do very well for me because they've got my book, my my video trailer, and also my bio on them. So I, I, yeah, they put a new one up every time I publish a book. So it's not necessary to have a separate separate web web address, at least not yet. I mean, if things pick up, uh, maybe I'll consider doing that. Hopefully by then I'll have an agent that can do all that for me. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, definitely, definitely. Nothing wrong with that, Tim. You know that that seems like the 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 way to go. So um. Well, what's what's next for you, uh, Tim Lilly? What can we expect in the future from uh, Tim Lilly? Um, like I said, I'm working on the uh, I'm working on the uh, prequel to uh, Water Susu right now, and uh, that's that. And then after that, I'm going to do the sequel to Two Core, and then I have a whole list of other another uh, novels. I'm probably going to do uh, one more. I'll do one more sequel to Water Susu and one more one more to Prequel. Two, two core, excuse me, and I can probably do uh, several novels after that one, but it'll have to. Um, the Vietnam portion will be be done after um, after the uh, the next uh, the next sequel, and then I've got an idea for a western a western series um, after that, and then I've got uh, an idea for a futuristic uh, uh, war battle with um, between the uh, U.S. government and ISIS that I'm I'm thinking about doing. Okay, well, I gotta ask because um, you know, we, we all type of people listen to the show. You have any advice you can give to maybe uh, an inspiring writer, someone who's inspired to be a writer? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, let me warn you right off the bat: this it's not for everybody. Um, get be prepared for solitude psychosis. I mean, if you've got family and kids and pets that, you know, they're gonna be very mad at you because you're gonna be taking all your time. Uh, you know, writing, and every time you get an idea in your head, you're going to have to hurry up and write it down. If you don't have a smartphone, you better start carrying a, a pen and paper around with you. And be be prepared. The uh, the publishing business is very very slow. I mean, I came from a business a business world where um, my clients would say, "Well, you know, you may be uh, bleeding to death in the hospital, but you got my e-bill and you have your BlackBerry, so you better respond to it." <laughs> Things go very slowly in the publishing world. It's not the same deal. Um, uh, that's that's basically the the highlights of of be prepared for it. It's it's not the same thing. Um, it, but if if you enjoy telling stories and you feel you have you have something to share, um, remember this: if you ever get downtrodden during your storytelling, um, 
you know, people praised actors and actresses, you know, people praised them highly in our society, you know, the celebrity status. But remember this, none of them would be famous if it wasn't for us, the writers, the storytellers, because somebody had to put that story down on paper first. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah, very somebody good point. had to put that story. I mean, a lot of times you'll say, oh, this guy's a great actor. But you remember now, he didn't write those words. I mean, he brought the words to life. But the guy that actually wrote the words is the one who doesn't get very much credit. Right. You, you, you don't normally like, because most movies you, you, you hear about the director, but they never yeah. too much t- tell you who wrote the film. Yeah, that's why I try to be as descriptive as possible in my novels when I talk about what clothes people are wearing, where they're at, what it smells like where they're at, um, uh, uh, how they say things, what facial expressions they use. Um, remember all that when you're writing, there's no such thing as too much detail. You just got to make sure you put it in the right order and you, you, you tell the story in a way they can understand it. I mean, that's what I learned from my first and my second book. My, my first book, sometimes it may seem like it goes kind of all over the place, but like I said, there was mostly therapy for myself. But the action parts in there are worth reading it. And if you enjoy mafia stories, you, you'll like, you'll like Watasusu. But um, if you like war stories, Tukor is definitely, definitely for you. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And I designed oh, all yeah, definitely. Books. I don't think so. Especially it's been, you know, it had three nominations. I, I'm sure the readers will get a, a, a lot out of that. You know what I mean? Do you say which book? Which book can you read the first 20 pages? Is it both of them, or is it just one? Yeah, both of them you can. Them. Both of them you can, and, I, and actually both of them start off with about an eight-page um, prologue. Don't skip the prologue because the prologue sets the tone for the rest of the book. Oh, okay, I, yeah, yeah, because I, I know how that happens. Sometimes you'd be so uh, excited, you get your hands on the book, you just want to get right to it, and then sometimes you may skip that part. And then, <laughs> so no, don't do that. Say that a lot of read people, read every people page because there's up. little hints. And in Tukor, there's maps and stuff that I took from my dad's papers and I put, in, put into the book in the front to show that I'm not, I'm not all BS, that the bookshin is not all fiction, that it is based on some truth in there. Oh yeah, those are the those are the best stories. Where you know, based on some um, based on some facts. Yeah, good thing. And like you I know, said too, uh, I, I design all my book covers myself. The uh, the Water Susum one, the the Chinese one. Um, that's mm-hmm. my forty five on the cover. That's my Chinese decorative plate, and that's my Chinese sword. And the the red background is my Old Navy polo shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being creative. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that, man. That's, that, that's definitely being creative right there. I, 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 I Tukor, the uh, Chinese, the, excuse me, the, the South Vietnamese flag is, you know, like I said it was earlier, was given to me as a gift by the uh, the Marine Guards at the consulate. And also the bayonet at the bottom of the page, that was a gift from the Marines there. That actually saw action there in, in Vietnam. And the, the the two knives on the front is mine, and the AR-15 is mine. And the, two, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the tomahawk in the middle the reason I put that is because I have uh, uh, Native Americans on the on the uh, on the uh, Green Beret team that, that that's uh, that makes up the uh, the clandestine force that goes around killing all everybody. Well, Tim, you seem very passionate about writing. Do you ever wish you would have started writing sooner? Because you seem like very passionate about it. No, well, it's I am now, but um, you know, I was when I was a businessman. It was you know, it was just I had to. You know, you got to keep up your payments. You you got to keep making money. And then when I came to run yeah. the company, you got to keep clients happy. And then when the recession hit, I was betrayed by employees. I was betrayed by clients. I mean, contracts were canceled outright, and then all of a sudden I couldn't borrow anymore. I mean, I had some state contracts that um, that they withheld payments up to uh, over a hundred thousand dollars at one point. Um, it was it was really bad. I mean, I I I worked thirty years in that business. I started working for my father when I was fourteen. And then to see everything just disintegrate in front of my eyes in about a six-month time period, it was uh, it was very disheartening. So I I did a lot of soul searching and thinking um, before before writing the first line, and I decided that I just 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 go with it because there was nothing out there interesting for me to do. You know, it's because when the recession hit, it's like me and a whole bunch of other people just got declared obsolete. I mean, basically that's what happened. I mean, because it's a whole different world out there. It's all technology motivated. I mean, to be honest, even doing doing what I'm doing now, I had to do a lot of catch-up. I mean, I never was on Facebook. I never did Twitter. I mean, you know, Instagram and all this stuff, and now now it's like part of my daily life. I mean, first thing I do when I get up in the morning is is look at look at my sales and, and, and Twitter and, 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 and Facebook. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 because, uh, you know, back then, it was no such thing. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have internet. There was no social media. So, you know, well, I, I, I think it's, you know, it, it has, it has its, uh, you know, its positive effect because uh, look how many people you can reach now just, you know, uh, right through the internet. You, you know what I mean? You can reach a lot of, you can reach a huge audience these days. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a different world. It's a very, very different world. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of good aspects, but I'm just not sure if we've seen all the bad aspects yet. I mean, it's just, it's moving. I mean, you buy a computer in six months, it's, it's obsolete already. I mean, things are just moving so fast. I just, I, I just, I just worry. But, you know, every generation has been like that. I mean, mom and dad used to, I used to, when I was, what, five years old and crawling on the floor, my mom and dad was sitting there saying, you know, I don't know about this new generation. Every generation's pretty much said that about everybody. <laughs> so, Hopefully, oh yeah, hopefully. I understand that because uh, right now we live in this uh, society. Because I was interested for you, were saying uh, you know you, you, you got to uh, really, really be into that book writing thing because you know it's a, it's a slow process. And and being that we live in such a immediate gratification society these days, you know, so it makes you wonder like, well, you know, how how are people gonna be able to stick to that because everybody wants things to happen overnight, you know. My my real worry is um, I hope I don't alienate anybody here, but my real worry is because uh, America's pretty much lost its religion. I mean. Religion has really gone downhill, uh, and it kind of breaks my heart. And, and why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it's, you know? Uh, I don't know. That's why I'm thinking maybe it goes hand in hand with the, with our society moving so fast forward all the all the time. You know, progressing, you know, so quickly as as, you know, you know, everybody's like, you know, who needs God anymore? You know, and maybe that maybe that be maybe that's part of it. I don't know, um, but. Um, I actually allude to religion a little bit in my first book, Water Susu, in the end. Um, mm-hmm. because, uh, it, it ends with the uh, one of the characters, you know, dying of cancer, right? So, and the final words is, you know, if you don't think there's a God, you better think again. Um, because a lot, of the, a lot of the things that I've seen in my life, you know, makes me think there is a God. So, I know a lot of people don't believe in it, believe in it and, um, you know, they have their own reasons. But um, mm-hmm. I do, you know, so, but take that for what it's worth. I don't pretend to know everything and why why God's done this, that, or the other thing, but that's just the way it is. Oh, yeah, that's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, do you have anybody you want to um, give a shout-out to, Tim? Anybody you'd like to mention? Anybody you might want to thank who may have, like, helped you along the way or, you know, anything like that? Well, yeah, but they don't live in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's in there where they can hear this, they can hear this show anywhere, anywhere well, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, uh, a lot of a lot of my readers, I would like to give a lot of them are, are pushing me, you know, to uh, because they want to see my my next releases. Um, please be patient. I'm working on it. I want to give you a good good story. I don't want to just rush through it. Um, also, to some of my fellow authors, especially a guy by the name of uh, Papa Spike, who uh, had his own true life story um, um, that he published, called uh, called um, uh, Life's Bad Hand and Why and uh, and he actually had his uh, his heart um, almost explode, and he was able to survive it. Uh, he was uh, doing a lot of steroids. He's he's a former model and um, and rugby player. <clears throat> um, also to my manager, um, Alan, Mr. Alan Tam, who's uh, trying to arrange a lot of things um, for me to uh, get my story out there. And especially for my mother and father, who have uh, supported me through this uh, hard financial time of my life. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. We well, yeah, definitely, de- definitely shout out to them, man. You know, and I'm definitely glad that you know here that they're, they're still, uh, you know, they're still kicking and, and you know, still they're still you know enjoying life and stuff like that, man. You know, and I definitely want to uh, thank you for being a part of the show, man. Um, we appreciate you taking time out your, you know, out your out your schedule and, and especially uh, being that you're so many hours, you know, ahead of us <laughs> to, to, yeah. to be willing to come to on and you know do the show. <laughs> <laughs> I sleep funny hours because I'm always up writing, you know? <laughs> so I have to go to sleep now. <laughs> but thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to coming back to New York to have some more wonderful food, especially the Silver Dragon in Chinatown. Oh, okay, well, yeah, well, whenever you're in the States, uh, you know, uh, put in an email or something, let, let us know you'll be in the area, you know, and maybe we'll get to meet in person and maybe do a live interview. That would be, you know. That would be great. Okay, well, uh, thanks a lot, Tim. Any time you want to come back, just uh, send us an email. Um, 
Appreciate having you. Um, you know, and uh, one, one more time for you go get 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 a listen to your uh, your social media pages and everything before you get out of here. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, just go to uh, Amazon or or Barnes and Noble and just type in my name in the uh, search field. First name Tim T I M, last name Lily L I L L Y, and the uh, book covers uh, book covers should come up and you just click on which one you want to order. Amazon, you'll probably have the easiest time reading the first uh, twenty pages or so. Most definitely, most definitely. All right, well, we're going to take a pause for the calls. Y'all keep it locked. We'll be right back. It's Real Talk with Lee. The Woods End Series by Alexander Clare. When Andrea is framed for murder, she discovers that divorce cannot sever the ties from a dangerous cult. Follow Boston Police Detective Jared Shield as he sets out to solve a murder and kidnapping, only to confront a vast conspiracy competing to produce the last Antichrist of world history. Against the backdrop of drama and intrigue, the Woods End characters come to see that demons are on their last assignments. Bible prophecy unfolds in real time, and Jesus Christ is at the door. Two books, Woods End, and the thrilling sequel, The Year Between the Woods. Download from Kindle, Nook, Screwpulp.com, or purchase the softcover at Amazon. Also by Alexander Clare, a work of nonfiction, discerning spirits, visionary gifts, and practice. Find it all at AlexanderClare.com. Inner City Strength is a memoir following a basketball phenom's life from abuse to glory. Basketball represented an escape for Dwight Slaughter, so much so that he wrote it all the way to notoriety. Inner City Strength is Slaughter's riveting story. Slaughter graduated from Verbum Day High School in Watts, a school with one of the top ten most successful basketball teams of all time. In 1972, Dwight Slaughter was voted number one high school player in the country by Sports Magazine. Slaughter was interviewed by sports reporter legend Howard Cosell on his popular show Sportsbeat and in his book, I Never Played the Game. 60 Minutes anchor Morley Schaefer, John Chancellor from World News Nightly, ESPN, and Sports Illustrated named Slaughter one of the top 100 basketball players in the state of California. Slaughter's gripping memoir takes the reader into his personal life of abuse, betrayal, and murder. Get his book now on Amazon, iTunes, and Barnes & Noble, Inner City Strength. Ladies, 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 Slim Goody Magazine is looking for you. Ever think about being a model? People say you should be a model? Well, Slim Goody Magazine is looking for you. Submit three photos and your contact information to lookatmecasting at gmail.com and info at slimgoodymag.com. That's lookatmecasting at gmail.com and info at slimgoodymag.com. Or give us a call at 770-744-4335. 770-774-4335. So it's like, we gon' do this, nigga. We up through here. Uh-huh. What up, B? They go. New York, nigga, say B. All I know is the street, so I keep me a hustle. All I know is the grind, flip it and make it double. They know I'm a beast, and they don't want the trouble. And we in this bitch. Like Magnum Rubble, all I know is the streets, so I keep me a hustle. All I know is the grind, flip it and make it double. They know I'm a beast, and they don't want the trouble. And we in this bitch, like Magnum Rubble. Stop holding my left hand in my back pocket, my bitch rack. Smell like a million bucks, now where the fuck is those bitches at? Get up about a million slow, just tell me where the send them at. We turn the cinder, I fuck your girl and I send her back. January through December, guess I'm moving that pack. Been with that wood, she fell in love with that bat. Nothing but that good, them mother nigga shit whack. Bitch, I'm in the hood, fuck you thought I was back. Dynamite like JJ, make that white girl a acrobat. Front flip, back flip, cartwheel, flap that. Bitch, on my dick just like Trojan, tell her baby I'm posted. 
with the ratchet and the ratchet with no sex fully loaded up with both seven lanes stingy with them shells I let you hold yeah I'm flyer than a top we may in lotto but I own you with a cop girl she twerk this a out of world is scourge hop up out the whip for the drive by get away clean like the turd karma is a bitch I'm all so friendly Sunday service that people got me nervous always working riding dirt through the city where it be hot yeah this movement can't be stopped side your roadblock from bottom my niggas with me on the top all I know is the streets so I keep me a hustle all I know is Flip in, they make it double They know I'm a beast And they don't want trouble And we in this bitch Like Magnum Rubble All I know is the streets So I keep me a hustle All I know is the grind Flip in, they make it double They know I'm a beast And they don't want the trouble And we in this bitch like man, no rubble. Hey, it's a movement. Come on, my new shit. Yeah, so stupid. Flow so ruthless. Ain't no blueprint. My whip ruthless. Boy, you all talk. Ain't gon' do shit. Slow the fuck down with that talking. Get back to be backing up off me. Do my everyday grind again about shit. I trap out multiple houses. I'm a problem and you found it. Keep a team of killers around me. From the cab to Ford and County. I dive in, but they drowning. Nigga, don't overstep your bounces. On rim. Trump crowns, and if you ain't from around here, then don't get caught down here. You bring it out, making a freeze from the bum cut out. I'll be the right one when it comes to a doctor. MTV, take a trip to my house. I'm right, wrong, talking to my cell phone. Soon as I'm inside, looking like a movie. Talk about the store, come up back. If you see that, George in the crib, smoking George Jacuzzi. Got to run to the crib with a two piece on. They keep on coming out, checking the phone. They're gonna give me job, boom, but I'm taking too long. Still, baby girl, don't wait till the snow roll. I don't need when I open it up. Get a pain when the cruise get a die. Frank can't do it like this. Money in my bitch when I walk in the store. Mike and Chase on my feet, rocking you shit close. Please tell for the bit, both in my ways. Better watch your girl, but I'll take your place. All I know is the streets, so I keep me a hustle. All I know is the grind. Flip it and make it double. They know I'm a beast, and they don't want trouble. And we in this bitch, like Magnum Rubble. All I know is the streets, so I keep me a hustle. All I know is the grind. Flip it and make it double. They know I'm a beast. And they don't want the trouble And we in this bitch Like Magnum Ruffles you must be crazy if you think anyone is going to buy your music unless you tell them about it. You'd have to be insane to think radio TV spots to promote what you do don't work. This isn't a sales pitch. It's reality. Are you going to get left behind again? Or are you going to promote your event, album, movie, tour, artist, or whatever with the targeted radio spots from CoolVoiceMedia.com? Our spots are hot. Check them out. Nothing slams a deep down body thirst better than Gatorade. See Beyonce knows live in performance on her biggest tour ever. Smooth Jazz. Anita Baker. Burger King introduces the new Hickory Bacon Cheddar Burger. Monday, December 6th on Cinemax. We will write, produce, and get your spot on the radio. Now that's cool. Listen, when it comes to promotion, the answer is coolvoicemedia.com. Anything else is just crazy. Shorty turning me on When I click on my computer I ain't even gotta aim Just let the webcam shoot up Twitter crush, Twitter crush You can be my Twitter crush Twitter crush, Twitter crush You can be my Twitter crush Twitter crush, Twitter crush You can be my Twitter crush Twitter crush, Twitter crush You can be my Twitter crush Shorty turning me on when I click on my 
let me take you to eternal bliss. She said she wanted more than less, she wanted happiness, security. Embrace the insecurity, sick of lanes. So she said the cure was me, I feel it. It's cool, girl, you rocking with the finest. To make them like this, you have to redefine science. Never go against our reliance. Let's take a trip to an island or the pina coladas. Laugh about to come up when the sun go down. We fucking turn the sun up. It's nothing, just me and you. Told me her sex was a weapon. Turned around, hit me with a 22 like. Mm-hmm. 